Hello and welcome everyone to the Almost Awesome Podcast, the only podcast that's considered an NFT because nobody listens to it. I am your host, Anna Rainhirsch, and I am officially restarting the podcast at the beginning of this new year with a review of a movie that I think is probably one of the most decisive but important films to pop culture and fandom in general. That movie, of course, was Sing 2. But I did not see that film. So instead, I saw Matrix Resurrections, and actually found that movie fits the bill entirely. We're going to talk about the movie itself and what it means for pop culture in general. Even if you've never seen The Matrix, you are aware of it. Its impact can be felt in film, video games, even fashion. From the slow motion fight scenes to the long, long conversations about free will and causality and Frenchmen talking at dinner parties. The Matrix changed cinema as we know it. Then the sequels happened, and we started to wonder what the hell we were thinking. While the first movie was groundbreaking in its visual effects and its philosophical narrative, the sequels was just more the same, just on a higher budget, which just highlighted the problems of the three movies in general. Expressionless acting, convoluted plot details, and really cheesy CGI at times. So The Matrix was left alone for almost 20 years, and in that time it became comfortable in nostalgia. So when it was announced that a sequel to the trilogy was being made, people were simultaneously excited and cautious about re-entering the world of The Matrix. Would this just be another nostalgic cash grab, or something entirely new? Well, I can say wholeheartedly it's kind of both, and that's a good thing. So let's get into the plot, and yes, there will be spoilers ahead, but I'll try and not give too much away because I do recommend actually seeing this movie, even if you haven't seen the other Matrix movies. But I'll get into why specifically as we go on. So, let's talk about the plot. The story once again focuses on Neo, played by Keanu Reeves, who is the One, a messiah-like hero who in the last movie helped free humanity from the machines in their computer-simulated world of the Matrix, and at the cost of his own life and the life of his true love, Trinity. But turns out, Neo isn't dead, but instead trapped in a new version of the Matrix that simulates our current society. Neo believes he is a video game designer named Thomas Anderson for a video game series called The Matrix, which is just a game version of the last three movies in this movie. He is informed by his business partner that Warner Brothers wants them to make Matrix 4, a sentence that sounds like it could have been an actual conversation Lana Wachowski had with Warner Brothers. So Tom and a team of different millennial stereotypes begin to discuss what made the Matrix special. All the while, we're seeing a montage of Tom himself feeling like he's trapped by walking on a treadmill and seeing his reality just kind of repeating itself over and over, emphasizing this idea of deja vu and giving us the little indication that Something just isn't right, and he feels like his world isn't real. In my opinion, this was a genius way to start this film, for two reasons. The first is that this is a new level of control 
in the form of like a gaslighting. By making The Matrix a game series in this movie, and in this simulation in general, it adds a layer of doubt to Neo's character. Let me give you an example. If you were to say today that we were all stuck in a computer simulated reality, someone else would say, oh, you mean like The Matrix? Which discredits you as sounding crazy. That's the idea that this movie was trying to get across, because we've all seen The Matrix or heard of The Matrix, and we all understand that kind of idea. The same thing applies here, which makes Neo question his own sanity, to the point where he's now seeing an analyst played by Neil Patrick Harris, and the analyst begins to tell him that his feelings of being trapped in a Matrix-like reality is fiction, and he is just a little bit crazy. The second reason this does so well for the movie is during the brainstorming scene for the new game, the movie goes full meta where everyone starts talking about what they feel the themes of the Matrix are. This self-awareness is sort of the opposite of fan service. Put simply, the movie it's saying, let's not compare this movie to what's come before, let it be what it is, which in its purest form is a sequel, not a reboot, more of an epilogue to the trilogy. We are introduced to new characters like Bugs, played by Jessica Henwick, the captain of a new hovercraft with a hard-pronounced name, and with a crew comprised of both humans and machines. While the new characters like Bugs and the ship operator Seek bring a lot of fresh energy and personality to the film, when the previous ones were lacking that in their main characters objectively. Henwick's role is to give necessary exposition to Neo and the audience, which at times admittedly does become difficult when she delivers those lines in, a whis in her whispering, natural accent. But Bugs represents a new generation of the Matrix and shows how the series has evolved, and she does that just as well as Lawrence Fishburne did in the first Matrix, when explaining this new world. The character of Seek was one of my favorites, and as the crew's new operator, he brought some welcome levity to many of the action scenes, and the decision to have him be a projection in the Matrix gives the actor the chance to work off the other actors, whereas the previous films, the actors had to be by themselves reacting to a computer screen. So, I just thought it was a nice inclusion for the actor this time around. Now, one of the more questionable decisions for this film was the recasting of Morpheus, given the fact that Lawrence Fishburne's portrayal of the character is so iconic. But this new Morpheus, played by Yaha Abdul-Mateen II, is essentially a new character rather than a recast. He's a computer program that was created by Neo, it's a little complicated to explain, but it makes sense in the context of the film, so I still encourage you to see it. His mix between stoic mentor and eccentric NPC adds a refreshing dynamic to this movie. Another recast in this film is for Agent Smith, who was the main antagonist from the original trilogy, played by the delightfully hammy Hugo Weaving. Smith has been reprogrammed as Neo's business partner, and he's played by Jonathan Groff, who remembers his previous murderousness and becomes more of a rival to Neo in this movie. Like Mateen, 
Groff brings his own interpretation to the character of Agent Smith instead of doing any sort of impression of Weaving. He's essentially a new character, but despite a good performance and a refreshing take on it, it might have been best just to leave this character out of this movie because it doesn't really add anything to the movie besides a nostalgic rival for Neo to fight in admittedly one of the best fight scenes in the series. The driving plot of this movie is the love story between Neo and Trinity. Both characters died by the end of the third movie, so their survival was a big mystery that drew fans back into this world. Trinity is once again played by Carrie Ann Moss, and appears to Neo as a married woman with children who frequents the same coffee shops and ramen noodle stops that he does. Although they have no memories of each other, they are both shown to be somehow drawn together, have a yearning for one another. Trinity, who goes by Tiffany now, is aware of the Neo's Matrix games, and identifies with the character of Trinity, but she can't quite explain why. This leads to a few scenes where Neo and Trinity sit down, have a conversation with each other, and they're figuring out their connections and talking about their lives in a very simple way. These scenes could almost be taken out of the movie and just be told as just a charming love story, and it's very casual in its delivery. They both get to express their feelings and frustration in their lives, which gives them more of a reason to be drawn together other than the fact that they were before. Part of the plot involves rescuing Trinity from the Matrix, and part of that involves giving her the choice of what she wants. At no point does Neo try to convince Trinity that they should be together, or how she is supposed to feel. They show how important it is to her character, what her choice is, which is important because it would rob her of her agency and her consent, which is all too often what happens to female characters in many blockbuster movies. One other improvement over the other movies was the Sisyphelian feeling of being trapped. In the first movie, we aren't shown any reason in the world that Neo would feel that his world isn't real. Characters just tell us Neo feels that way. But we had no reason to think he wasn't in the real world, so the movie was able to get away with that. Well, not get away, but it did a successful job of setting up that world. This time, however, with everyone knowing about the Matrix, they show a montage with... Neo listening to his co-workers, repeating themselves, describing what the Matrix is like, him eating alone at restaurants, showing him on a literal treadmill, all establishing he isn't going anywhere, like Sisyphus, pushing his boulder up a hill. Slight camera shots and small visual effects showing the Matrix code in the background creates this feeling of a simulated world in a much better way than in the first movie did, even when the movie did it in a fantastic job the first time around. The action scenes were a noted improvement. While the movie uses the same kung fu and wire work that has become part of the series' identity, the action has had more weight and stakes added to the fights. Neo was usually shown as this unstoppable hero in the previous films, but reworking his powers 
and showing his telekinesis having this rippling effect in the environment. And Neo's struggle and journey to use his powers added extra texture to the film. One of my only complaints that I have is in an early fight scene where the characters are on a train, where they introduce these new programs that take the form of just regular people who hide in plain sight, but they're actually just computer bots, and they're designed to swarm their targets. The fight is a little bit claustrophobic and might have been better used with less people in the fight. Because later on, more and more people are added to the swarm. So I think just de-escalating it just a little bit would have made the swarm mode later in the city, in the final act of the film, it would have been a more natural escalation and more of an oh-crap moment. At first viewing, I believe that this movie would be hard for newcomers to understand some of the references or even the logic of it. But I believe it is worth watching because the movies use enough footage from the previous films to give proper context. They use this in the theme of deja vu that Neo experiences throughout the film. This gives you a better understanding and knowledge for the films that you can be forgiven for not seeing the first films and understanding enough of this new movie that you can have an enjoyable experience. I do recommend seeing the previous films to get the proper context, but if you've ever been interested in seeing The Matrix but don't want to watch all the first three films first, I still recommend watching the first one, but you can definitely watch this movie and get the same kind of enjoyment that I think longtime Matrix fans have. And I'm someone who's not considering himself a huge Matrix fan. I was very young when they first came out, and I don't think I had the same appreciation for them as I do now in more recent years, and my interest in the films has certainly skyrocketed because of this movie. So, I don't think you need to be a Matrix fan. I just think you need to like good movies in general. That's why I don't understand the opinions on YouTube and other critics who seem to not like this film. It's almost popular to not like it because it is seen as a big-budget reboot. But no, this is actually a really good movie that I think you should give it a try, at the very least, just to see something refreshing and a refreshing take on something that's kind of been used as a tired trope. I mean, we all have heard those conspiracy theories that we live in this simulated world. People have co-opted terms from this movie, like the terms red pill, to describe their ideologies. This movie reclaims those tropes and puts it in the proper context. So that's why I think it's important to see this film, to so we better understand how it has affected our society, our pop culture, and we can get this new appreciation for film history. So that's my recommendation. I definitely recommend seeing this movie in theaters if you can see it in IMAX like I did. It was amazing to see all of that on a big screen. But if you're still a little concerned about going to movie theaters due to coronavirus, I 
it is streaming on HBO Max. I don't usually support streaming new movies on these big platforms. I think you should support your local theaters because they were hit hard during the pandemic. But I understand they're a little less restricting with COVID protocols. So even so I will allow it. Maybe if you like it, see it in the theater first. Probably won't be too crowded now. And also watch it a bunch of times on HBO Max. Well, I think this was a great start to 2022 for the Almost Awesome podcast. I hope to do this more. I think I'm going to review a few more films that came out at least during the pandemic or during the last year that I didn't really get to because everyone took a break from a lot of stuff, including me, myself, and I. So I hope to see you again, and thank you for joining me. Thank you.